Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You. And we are in the throes of a war in Israel against the terrorist organization Hamas. And we have on the podcast today a very close friend of mine, Stuart Roth. And Stuart serves as senior counsel to the American Center for Law and Justice and the European Center for Law and Justice. Stuart attended law school with ACLJ's chief counsel, Jay Sekulow. And they have practiced law together since 1980. Stewart is a nationally known and recognized constitutional lawyer and has given his legal analysis and commentary on hundreds of national television and radio broadcasts. Stewart has participated in 12 cases that have been argued before the United States Supreme Court, including the landmark decisions in Mergens and Lambs Chapel that altered the landscape of religious liberties litigation. Stewart has also been involved in cases before the European Court of Human Rights and the International Criminal Court. Part of Stewart's work at the ACLJ is defending Jewish students from anti-Semitic attacks on college campuses. So we're very, very uh, honored to have you with us, Stuart, today. And the best part of you is you're my best friend, and you've yeah, helped thanks, me in, in so many times. So you have a bead on this whole um, uh, moment in Israel's history. So from your perspective, you know, what is happening right now in Israel? Well, this is a big deal. This isn't uh, the, the biannual, uh, you know, little volley of missiles going back and forth between Israel and, and Gaza. Uh, this is an actual war. This is like the 1967 war, the 1973 war, the war in Lebanon. This is a big deal because Israel, Israel's enemies are obviously very well armed. They're armed now in Gaza to the extent that I think surprised Israelis with the sophistication of their weapons and their techniques. And of course, waiting for them on the other side up north is Hezbollah. And Hezbollah, as everybody knows, is an agent of Iran. They are Lebanese. They have their own country. They're able to arm with the finest equipment coming in from Iran and Syria. Uh, They're unrestricted in terms of the way that they can accomplish their goals of trying to eliminate the earth. But now we've got um, we, we've got a battle in, in Gaza, which is unexpected in terms of its intensity. So it really is an existential battle that Israel is fighting in Gaza. The attacks on civilians is unprecedented. Uh, Israel is going to take every measure possible to try to eliminate, to try to eliminate Hamas from the governmental leadership in Gaza, which shares a border which is understandable to most of the civilized world. But again, as this war continues and there's more deaths and there's more uh, civilians dying in Gaza, which is by design for Hamas, as we all know by now, Hamas fights the type of warfare where they're willing to sacrifice civilians so they can post their pictures and videos to social media to show how bad the Israelis are, inhumane they are. This is their goal, is to extract civilian deaths, injuries, 
suffering of their own people to achieve their means. Stuart, talk to us about the issue of moral equivalency. We've heard that a lot in the last few weeks. And and so the issue is that Hamas sends 5,000 rockets into Israel. They send over 1,000 terrorists and murder. At this point, we know of 1,300 deaths. But then the narrative flips, and I thought it would take maybe seven days. It took two days for the narrative to flip uh, when Israel started defending itself and trying to take out these rocket launchers that where civilians were killed, and all of a sudden the whole world now is saying, you know, Israel and Hamas, they're they're both equally guilty. So how how do we push back against that narrative? Well, um, you know, one of the problems with these wars is that Um, Israel, when they defend themselves, has the ability to inflict a lot of damage on the other side. And they don't start these wars. Uh, They're the recipient of uh, unwelcome attacks on their land as they have been since 1947. So when they defend themselves, because they're very strong militarily, uh, they're going to inflict more damage than the other side. And so what happens in the world um, that has an anti-Semitic leaning is that the the focus seems to go from the atrocities that started the combat on the side of the the Gazans, Hamas, Hezbollah to the Israelis because they end up winning these wars. Uh, some of that we just can't counter. With po- folks like you and me and others that understand this dynamic, we try to get ahead of it. We try to get ahead of it as these wars engagements start because we know it's going to happen. We know that even as bad as what happened in Israel in terms of the hostage taking, the murder, the mayhem, the rape, the torture of civilians, that that one day would be lost because as Israel exacted not just revenge, but the desire to dismember the Hamas leadership, and that will go on for weeks and weeks and maybe months and months, the casualties on the side of Hamas and the civilians in Gaza will far exceed the deaths of Israelis. And all of a sudden, the tide will turn in terms of opinion. So whatever sympathies went to Israel for the initial uh, uh Hamas invasion and and mayhem will will tilt in the coming weeks and months. And like you said, we've already seen it. We just have to get ahead of it. We just have to talk about it. But in parts of the world, you can't convince people that right is right and wrong is wrong. They're already locked into their own narrative. You know, your work at the American Center for Law and Justice uh, over the years, you have Uh, defended Israel at the International Criminal Court at The Hague. And I think the last statistic I read a few years ago was that 85% of the human rights violations coming from that court uh, are against Israel. So uh, you and Jay Sekulow and the the whole team there at American Center for Law and Justice, you're intricately involved with defending Israel. So where do you think this is going? I mean, is Israel going to be charged with war crimes in the, in the midst of this uh, latest Hamas terror attack? 
Well, there, there's there's a lot of technicalities. Uh, Israel and, and the United States, for that matter, are not members of the International Criminal Court. So our position has always been when taking a position, uh, arguing or sending in position papers that the International Criminal Court does not have jurisdiction over Israel, over the United States, because we're not we're not members of that court. Um, but to be sure, uh, there will be complaints lodged by the Palestinian Authority, the, some of the Palestinian organizations who have availed themselves of jurisdiction just for the purpose of having that court investigate Israel. Um, and already we have seen that there are some submissions that um, are being filed. So we could be sure. I mean, this is going to be uh, a pretty long drawn out war, I would think, uh, you know, compared to some of the other uh instances that we have seen in recent years where there is uh, skirmishes of a fairly high level uh, going back and forth for 10 days or 14 days. And then the international community puts a lot of pressure on Israel for a ceasefire. Israel feels that they've done what they needed to have done to, uh, to dismantle the infrastructure of the Hamas uh, military as far as exacting uh, a proportionate response to what has occurred in terms of them sending missiles into parts of Israel. But this is different. The scale yeah. and scope of what happened in Israel and what Hamas has done and the atrocities has shocked the nation of Israel. So, you know, talking to Israelis each day, I think the, the sentiment is is that from a political standpoint, from a practical standpoint, they cannot live and survive with Hamas in power, in Hamas in the government leading the Gazan people, sharing that border any longer. They are a real threat. They are an existential threat. You know, we see the amount of troops that Israel is amassing uh, and Israel and the resources that they're using to deal with Hamas uh, in, in Gaza, and they still have another problem up north, and it's called Hezbollah, right. which, quite frankly, is a much, much more formidable uh, enemy, much fo more formidable. That was, that's the enemy that the Israelis are always concerned about because they have, from a technical training standpoint, from military capabilities, they're, pretty, they're a pretty significant opponent if you had to get into some sort of war because they are backed by everything that Iran has. You know, the, <clears throat> I'm perplexed about something, Stuart, and, and I know you're going to be able to answer this, but, uh, and I think a lot of people that are listening are perplexed of what's the end game of Hamas? What are they trying to accomplish in this incursion, which they knew Israel's going to retaliate? I mean, with that kind of uh, brutal murder of Israeli innocent civilians, there's going to be a, a retaliation. So were they perhaps trying to start a, 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 a you know, World War III in the Middle East? Were they trying to shut down the Abraham Accords, of which uh, you and the American Center of Law and Justice were involved in writing the Abraham Accords? Were they trying to uh, throw a, a wrench into the Saudi peace deal with Israel? What, what was their end game, in your opinion? Well, you know, a lot of people are talking about what could they have possibly been thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I think the reality is just, you know, reading a lot uh, about that topic, 
I don't think it was well thought out. I don't think um, they're thinking things through with a Western mind. I think their desire was to inflict harm on Israelis to kill Jewish people. They saw an opening. They saw a vulnerability in the defense system in that particular in that particular area, and they launched that attack that they had planned for two years. So the end game, I don't really think that they're thinking it through. They've created a lot of havoc in the region. They don't have a lot of friends. Uh, the reason Egypt doesn't want to let them in is that Egypt doesn't want to let them in because Egypt doesn't want those types of individuals that can, uh, that can disassemble their society that creates instability inside Egypt. Uh, Jordan doesn't want to let them in. Saudi Arabia is not letting them in. So none of the other countries really want to have anything to do with Hamas. So they've created uh, instability in the region that's palatable. So, you know, behind the scenes, uh, they're not a group that has a lot of friends in, in that area. So what were they thinking? They were thinking they're just going to take advantage of the weakness that they perceived in the Israeli de defense system in that particular point in time. And they were going to inflict this much damage. And whatever happens afterwards, happens afterwards. Uh, they know that the Israelis always defend themselves. They always counter. They always exact the, the appropriate retribution. Um, did they expect that they were going to be able to go in and murder, murder uh, all sorts of civilians, women, children, uh, infirm adults, and Israel was not going to take drastic measures? I'm not sure how well they thought it through. And Aaron, I'm not sure they really care. I hmm. think their goal was to kill Jews and kill Israelis, and they, they achieved that goal. So now, now that it's happened, now that the, the brutality is being seen all over the world of, of what they did, what, in your opinion, is Israel's end game? I mean, are we going to see an end of Hamas? Will Israel stay in this war until that's accomplished? Well, that's, I've had many conversations with, uh, with, with our team and with Israelis on that, and that's a really difficult question. The reality is, is that, quote-unquote, occupying Gaza, which, which they did because they had settlements inside Gaza and, you know, until like 2005 when uh, Ariel Sharon ended uh, the, the settlements in, in Gaza because they were too, too dangerous. Uh, they exacted uh, too much resources on the part of the Israeli military to defend those individuals that were living inside Gaza. Um, it's, it's, it's just very difficult. There's 2 million people. So, right. uh, I don't see that happening. I do see Israel being on the ground there, uh, for a while that may be a few months for the sole purpose of trying to dismantle, uh, the Hamas infrastructure. And I think they are going to try and get the international community to play some role in the reconstruction of some sort of government in Gaza that is a government that the Israelis can live with. They can't live with Hamas. And so this is a problem that is not just an Israeli problem. This is an Arab problem. You know, you're, you're an expert on the history of these conflicts and these wars in 1947 and the, the, the partition 
of, of the UN. But the reality is, is that the Arab nations in that area encouraged the Palestinian Arabs that lived in that region to reject the two-state solution. And they did it numerous times and they went to war and they lost every war. But when they lost the war, they still had a country. So Egypt still existed, Syria still existed, Lebanon still existed, Iraq still existed, Jordan still existed, but they all went to war with Israel and they encouraged the Arabs in Palestine to reject the two-state solution. And when they lost the wars, they all went back to their own country and they left the Palestinian Arabs with, right. with the loss. And, and, and that's why where we are where we are. So the reality is, is that this is an Arab problem. You know, everybody says, oh, this is an Israeli problem. No, this is an Egypt problem. You went to war with Israel three times. You encouraged the Arabs inside Israel to reject the two-state solution. They did. And now we're, this is where we are. So when Egypt won't let these, these Palestinians in, that's pretty ridiculous because they're partly to blame or largely to blame, as is Jordan, as is Syria, who's not a partner now. Lebanon's not a partner because now they're run by Hamas. Um, so those countries really created this situation. So they're going to have to solve this problem along with Israel. Stuart, the hope is, and I, I know the world is hoping this, I know the Israeli community, uh, you as a Jewish man, you're hoping for this, and that's the return of the hostages. And do you think that there may be a flicker of hope for negotiations to, to bring the 199-plus hostages back home to Israel? Yes, I definitely do. Um, I, I don't know what degree, but, but the hostage-taking um, crossed the boundaries. So other countries in the region that support uh, the principles of a Palestinian state and Palestinian liberation and are anti-Israeli in terms of their policy. Uh, some of the responsible actors know that taking of hostages, including, it's not just Israelis, they're Americans, they're Europeans, that, and they're civilians, that is, that's, that's beyond the pale. That can't be supported in any which way. So the pressure on Hamas which gets its support from all of these neighboring actors to, to, to move on that, I would assume is significant because that is not defendable in any way, shape, or form. So I think there possibly could be some movement. The problem is, is that what Hamas wants in return is, is probably you know, a non-starter to a certain degree. Uh, they wanna remain in power. Yeah. Israel's not gonna let them remain in power. Um, they probably have some other types of demands that won't be able to be met. But the taking of hostages is something that I'm sure Hamas uh, is getting a lot of pressure on because it creates a lot of problems for the neighboring countries. And again, you know, in the Middle East, none of these countries in the Middle East, uh, they may be Arab, they may be Muslim, but, you know, they're not, they're not really friends. So the relationships between Arab countries sometimes is cordial at best. They're interested in their own self-interest and survival. And if Hamas creates too many problems for them, which they have, um, they become a liability. And that's why you have seen, you know, before this, 
a lot of outreach from Arab countries into normalization with Israel, uh, of, you know, and that's beyond the 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 uh, the uh, Palestinians objecting to the normalization process with Saudi Arabia and with UAE and with the Arab world. It's because Israel is a a country that adds something to not only the security of the region, but their their technical ability to assist all of these Arab countries and lots of different aspects of industry is, is well known. On the other hand, Hamas uh, brings nothing to the table. Uh, the Palestinians uh, going to war with the Israelis bring nothing to the table. And that's why you've seen a lot of these normalization agreements go forth, even though there's no two-state solution. Um, and, and, and that is a static situation. But the Arab countries are, are, are at this point, they have turned their backs to some extent on the Palestinians because they understand that they just don't want to cut a deal. Uh, their leadership is basically keyed into the quote unquote struggle. They don't know how to govern. They don't know how to accept a deal that's less than 100% of what they want. And the other Arab nations know it. And so a conflict like this creates instability in, term, in, in the entire Middle East. And that's not good for Egypt. That's not good for Jordan. That's not good for Lebanon. That's not good for those neighboring countries. And so uh, they may not like Israel, but they're no friends of Hamas either. That's so true. And <clears throat> Stuart, one more question before we wrap up. And, and that would be Israel is surrounded. Someone once told me that Israel is a very beautiful country in a very bad neighborhood. So you have... Uh, you know, Hezbollah to the north, Hamas to the south, Fatah to the west in Judea Samaria, and then outlining countries like Syria and Iran that, that want to push Israel into the sea. And I've heard this phrase over and over again the last few weeks since October 7th when Hamas massacred 1,300 Jewish men, women, and children. But the phrase is, uh, we have nowhere to go. And talk right. about that for a minute, just the, the, the existential threat that Israel is in 24-7, 365 days a year because they're surrounded by it. In the Israeli mind, how do they exist with that kind of outside uh, threat? Well, well, like, like you said, it was Golda Meir that said, uh, we have nowhere to go. And, right. and that's, our, that's, that's, that's our strength. That's our calling. This is, this is, this is our historical land. But I, you know, I encourage all your listeners, you know, Google, uh, Google a map of Israel uh, and then the, the larger region and see exactly what Israel is facing on a day to day basis. They are surrounded by nations that since their founding want to wipe them off the face of the earth. And, and actually, you know, at this point in time, you know, Israel has got a very strong uh, military they get a lot of support from the United States. But way back when, Aaron, like in the 1947-48 war, the, you know, the independence war, the 1967 war, the 1973 Yom Kippur war, Israel didn't get a lot of support from the United States. You know, this, right. this support of the United States is a relatively new, um, is a new phenomenon, uh, this overwhelming support, overwhelming support in Congress, overwhelming support 
from presidents, you know, whether they're Republican or Democrats. It used to be there wasn't a lot of support from American presidents during the 67 war, during the 73 war. There was a lot of withholding of arms and support because the Arabs were withholding gas from us and they didn't know who was more valuable. Was it, was it the Arabs because of the gas or was it the Israelis because they were the only democracy in the area? I mean, th there was a whole conversation about that. It, it, it wasn't as one-sided as it is now in terms of American policy, which is, which is, which is really great. But, you know, the map, is, is frightening when you look at it. It's a very small country with a very small population surrounded by very populous Arab countries that are about as unfriendly as you can be. Hmm. Um, and so the, the fact that the Israelis have survived is a miracle. The fact that the Israelis have thrived is, is a miracle. And the Israelis are joyous people. They love peace. They love the land of Israel. Uh, during this war, because of what happened, they put aside their political differences, which are vast, just, just like Americans, quite frankly, they're, they're vast. Uh, they put aside the fact that everybody wants to get to the bottom of this uh, security breach and how did it happen, but they haven't stopped the whole country to have hearings on that yet. So right. what they've done is they've all gathered together to support the war effort, whether it's Hamas or whether it's gonna be Hezbollah, and they're all looking looking after each other and i think they're going to pull through and they're going to pull through in a fashion that hopefully will increase their security for you know for the next 10 20 years wow well these are very very um difficult days Stuart. and i so appreciate you coming on today and and i want to have you back real soon you're you're an expert in this whole whole field and and you you gave me personally just a better view of what's happening in in Israel and in this war. So, um, and I encourage everyone that's listening do that. Uh, Stuart just suggested go on Google and see that uh, Arab landmass is actually 600 times the size of tiny Israel, and we all need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So, Stuart, thanks for being with me today, and I so appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. Great to be with you. Okay, God bless, and we'll see you all next time on Israel and You.